East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hey everybody, welcome to East-West Draftcast. It is Sunday, October 27th, and we're going to do a little podcast for you. I'm one of your hosts. My name's Greg. Got another host. What's your name, other host? Wow, I can't even understand what you're saying. Uh, what's your name, other host? <laughs> Jeff. Hey, I'm, Jeff, you're back. I'm back. We're back together. This is great. We're back. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's probably the best thing to happen to our listeners in like a year. Uh, I think we've done a podcast together in... For the past year. Yeah, but this one's going to be way better than all those other episodes. Starting off strong already. Yeah, just coming hot out of the gates. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Well, um, yeah, man, it's been a while since you and I have done one of these together, and we're still a limited podcast. We're still going to talk about Theros, but, I mean, I honestly haven't been able to pick your brain on the subject as much as I would have for other formats or just as I have in the past, you know? And, um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to, first of all, just get a little, I want to check in with you. How do you, how do you like this format? What do you think? Like, is there anything that's like jumping out at you that you got to get off your chest? Like what's going on, buddy? Um, format's pretty good. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's not as exciting as some previous formats a lot of previous formats, but it's, I think it's solidly balanced and I don't know. I enjoy the mechanics of the set, things like that. Um, overall it feels, it just feels a little, uh, flat in a way. I don't, I don't feel the, the urge to want to play it all the time. Like I do, which like I have with other sets, like even sets that, that seemed flawed in ways like triple return to Ravnica seemed pretty flawed to me, but at the same time, I, I really wanted to play that format a lot and I don't feel that with Theros. Yeah. The balance of the format is kind of a double edged sword in that regard where you can draft basically any color combination you want yeah. and make a viable deck. But because of that, there's less to work towards. There are fewer challenges as far as like deck building goes and finding secret pet decks or, or synergies, like finding a spider spawning type deck or trying to play five color like you might have in Return to Ravnica or, or just playing an off color guild in Return to Ravnica. And I can see how that would make the set more unexciting for, for folks. But I do feel that the balance in general is a good thing for a limited magic set and that it keeps it keeps me w coming back at least. It, it's not to the point where I'll ever be like, oh, I don't want to play Theros. That's that, that that format is done. Yeah, it's not it's not like, I don't know, Gatecrash where there was I don't know, it was just really obvious what what you had to be doing and made it super boring. Yeah, I mean, Zendikar was kind of like that, too, where. Yep. You had just one strategy that you kind of had to stick to, and this format doesn't do that necessarily, but at the same time, it doesn't offer a lot of outlandish strategies and whatnot. 
No, it tends to be a... Uh, it's pretty vanilla. Yeah. It feels... It, it doesn't feel like a corset, but the the range is like a corset, I guess. Yeah. One thing um, I, I've... I actually have... I thought about this maybe a month ago, and I have been saving it for when you and I could podcast together. And we're always talking about how when you stack a bunch of auras and equipment or whatever onto a creature, you're, you're creating a Voltron, quote-unquote, right? Right. Now, I don't think this has really been talked about enough, even though the word, word Voltron comes up, like ad nauseum when you're talking about Theros, but this set really is just... It's like the Voltron cartoon. It's it's giant friggin' monsters versus five cats merging into one giant robot, and then they fight. It's like you have your heroic dude or your, your bestowed guy, and then you have a, a Nessian asp who, like, grows into an 8-9 or whatever, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Is I, I, thought that the, I thought that that was really interesting, how we talk about Voltron as, as like this piece of magic terminology but this is the voltron set totally it's uh yeah and i don't know if that cartoon holds up but uh for those of you out there that uh can't get enough theros maybe you should go watch voltron (laughs) my my question and this is i mean this is kind of silly to talk about but in in voltron the cartoon voltron always wins right it's that's how cartoons work the good guys win yeah. So I that's the one question I have is as far as Theros goes, do you think that the bestow deck, like the Voltron creature, tends to have a an upper hand over a monstrous creature or, or a monstrous deck? Mm, I like that deck more. Or I like the deck with more bestow in it than the deck with more monstrous, but I don't think it's necessarily better. I mean, you mentioned Nessian Asp. That card's real good. Uh, I don't know. There's plenty of, like, mediocre monstrous cards, though, I would say, compared to the Bestow cards, which I think they're all good. Yeah, pretty much every single one of them is playable, and if not playable, just excellent. Yeah. And I, I do actually think that those Bestow decks might just be the deck you want to play and have a leg up because if you do happen to find some sort of piece of removal for their one, if like if it's one big threat versus one big threat, I'd much rather have the Voltron threat because chances are if they cast Heroes Downfall on it, I'm going to be left over with a Nimbus Nyad or some other Bestow creature kind of falling off. But like I'm not totally far far behind as opposed to if they heroes downfall my Nessian asp I've put however much mana into that thing and now I have nothing to show for it. Yeah, I guess it's a question of card advantage versus mana advantage, I guess. I don't know. I I mean No, that's not the right way to put that. It's like I think you might be onto something there, but please develop your thought process further. <laughs> well, my thought process is that a monstrous creature is one card. And your Voltron is maybe two to three uh, cards you put into it. And although it may be um, that it gives you more uh, flexibility, I guess, or like more protection, it uh, it costs you a lot more resources in terms of card advantage to get that. So 
I don't I, know. I can see that, but as far as if you're using bestow, that's not necessarily the case because if they do kill your giant threat, you don't necessarily lose that bestow card. Sure, but I'm just saying, uh, to get my Nessian Asp out there and make it monstrous, I only had to draw one card. To get your guy out there and make him big, you had to draw two cards. Okay, all right. So I understand what you're saying now. So you're talking more about just the the nature of bestow yeah. requiring you to have more to make right. it work. Right, and I'm saying, like, maybe the, like, extra card that I drew with my Nessian Asp was my Sip of Hemlock. So I had the removal spell and you didn't because you had to draw two spells to make your big guy. I don't know. That's an interesting debate. I kind of want to go deeper on this. I just am not really prepared to do so. Like, I don't have any <laughs> evidence to back that up. But, I, yeah, that's a good question. And I guess because when you think about the mana that you put into it, the mana that you put into casting a creature, bestowing something onto it, you're probably spending somewhere in the same range, probably a little bit less mana than someone who yeah. plays a monstrous creature and then uses monstrous ability. Because I do think for the most part, like, monstrous starts at six mana, right? There aren't many that monstrous for cheaper than that, are there? There's none that monstrous for cheaper than that. Okay, well, there you go. Um, and I understand that some bestow costs are expensive, seven mana six mana, but yeah. at the same time, those don't necessarily require you to play to pay five mana up front or four mana up front. You could be putting that on a one mana dude. You know, right. Your hopeful yeah. Eidolon could take anything bestowed onto it and, and just be a solid creature at that point. But Right. I, I think that the big difference here is that although on like the outside, they both seem like they have these kind of modal versions, like the bestow guy can be played as the creature or the enchant creature, and the monstrous creature can be bigger after you play it. Like you definitely have more options with the bestow cards than you do with the monstrous cards. So it's just a you end up with more choices versus less choices, I think, and so you have a chance to outplay your opponent probably with the bestow cards. Yeah, that's a great point in the sense that if you go all in on a monstrous dude, you're you're all in, right? That's your threat. You're putting a yeah. ton of mana into that and a ton of time. Whereas if you have multiple auras and bestow creatures to throw around, you can you can go all in on one thing or you can kind of diversify and spread it out a little bit. Maybe you have a couple flyers. Um, yeah, that's right. that's a good point. That flexibility definitely um Gives, could, could definitely give you a lot of advantage and coincidentally ties very well into our main topic, which we'll get to later. Yes, it does. All right, well, uh, before we get there, you want to do some pick cards? Hells yeah. All right, buddy. Um, it's been a long time. Hopefully hopefully you dig these lists. We'll start off with a, a very simple and probably pretty boring list, but I think these are good for kind of gauging uh, where the format's at when you talk about the, the less exciting cards. Uh, pick a card. Opaline Unicorn or Fellhide Minotaur? Opaline Unicorn or Fellhide Minotaur? I will take the Unicorn. Uh, the Minotaur, that's just the 2-3, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, he is a Minotaur, so that he has that going for him. But um, I, I, I find that ramping in the set, even with your dude costing 3 mana, is still good. And uh, I actually love to play more than two colors, if possible, so... I'm kind of a fan of the unicorn. See, I when I first saw the unicorn spoiled, I thought it was 
utter garbage. I was like, I'm never going to play this card. Why would I pay three mana for a one-two ramp creature? And right. you're right. Like, that extra mana from three to five is legitimately valuable in this format. Yep. And I think the one thing you glossed over as far as the Minotaur goes is that it does have a black mana symbol in its mana cost. Ah, very true. So... With that said, that's only one deck, and the Unicorn could potentially go into any deck, and I think it's a fine choice, uh, but not one I would have made a month ago, you know? True, yeah. I, I mean, I think it only took me playing the set very briefly, mostly to see like how good the Seder is, the Voyaging Seder. That card's real good. <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact that it's like, it's essentially a lot of, I mean... It's it's like an Arbor Elf, but it costs one more. It's functions in that way, and uh, knowing that it's as good, maybe better than than that than an Arbor Elf. It was in like whatever set that card was in. Um, make means that like we're all just like a turn slower generally, and so having a, the Unicorn be a three mana is not that big a deal. It feels it feels more like it's functioning as a two mana spell. Yeah, if there was an Arbor Elf in the set instead of Voyaging Seder or, or some Llanowar Elf effect, it would make this Opaline Unicorn seem a lot worse in comparison. Totally. Yep. All right, uh, next up, Opaline Unicorn versus Dissolve. Ooh, Dissolve. Uh, I'm going to take Dissolve. I I like that card a lot in this set. Do you um, also like Stymied Hopes? Like is not the word I would use. <laughs> Will you play Stymied Hopes in your main deck? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I have. I wasn't happy to do so. But um, I, I, Ryan points this out a lot with uh, when, when I'm playing with him in that um, for every more, like every copy of like Dissolve you have more, or every counter spell you have more makes your other counter spells better. So, like, I could see myself playing a Stymied Hopes if I have, like, a couple dissolves or something. And then you, you just have, like, more, more to do on your opponent's turn, more, I don't know. The, the counters just get better in multiples, essentially. Yeah, I think I may have made a mistake by putting Dissolve on here if you like it that much, because like I said, I was trying to pick cards that were not super exciting, but it sounds like you like this this card a lot. I mean, why, I mean, can you expound a little bit more about why um, you like Dissolve well, in the format versus I, in something else? I will say that it's more preference than anything, but um, I do think it's really powerful because a lot of spells are expensive and Spending three mana to counter a seven mana spell is nice. Um, <clears throat> but I think it more comes down to, like I said, I like, I like to play blue. I like to counter in this format. It's just more fun to me. And, uh, I like the, the most impressive deck I think I've played against was one that locked me out of the game with mnemonic walls and <laughs> dissolves. Jesus. <laughs> It was so brutal. It was it was ridiculous. How, I mean, how do you keep that going though? Eventually, you run out of mnemonic walls, right? Uh, he had bounce, so he so, would bounce his own mnemonic wall to get back to dissolve. He yeah, I mean, it was just like once it got to the late game, he had two dissolves, 
two mnemonic walls, two voyages end, and I think that's all he needed. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like he countered. I, I had this was a deck that was ridiculous. It was a, a red green splashing black deck. I had five rares in it, five green rares, uh, right, including like Polis Crusher was one of my green rares. It's not really green, but um, it was just like a, all these ridiculous bomby cards, and um, he just saved his counters for those cards and. Um, the rest of my deck was just kind of built around getting those cards out, like Voyaging Satyrs and things like that. So, um, yeah, he had he had a nice counter to my deck. For, that's for damn sure. That, that's I what mean. it sounds like. It sounds like more, if anything, it was just a matchup thing that allowed him to beat you because if he's countering your actual good threats, the stuff you're left over with is pr- are probably the type of cards that won't get past an 0-4 wall, right? Especially totally. in red, red, black, and green. Yeah, no, he, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, not saying that it's like the best deck ever, but it was just, it just played so awesomely. And he only had two things that were really like win conditions in the entire deck, which I thought was just hilarious and awesome. And it worked. <laughs> That's crazy. It sounds like a Hogan deck. Yeah, it kind of was. It was, it was, he, one of his win conditions, by the way, was the Colossus. Oh, the Arbor the 10, Colossus? 10. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a sweet one. The ten ten that becomes a twenty twenty. Yeah, it was such a cool win condition. Oh, I don't know. I I love that guy's deck. It was like when he beat me, I was like, man, that was that was sweet. I wish I could play that deck every time. I enjoyed being but, d- demolished by your twenty twenty. But anyway, so that was a good example of how dissolve can be absurd. It's not absurd. It's just a card that I'm happy to play usually. Just so. a quality spell, especially in a set with with bad removal. Yeah. All right. I mean, uh, it comes... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, it comes down to the fact that, like I said before, everything f- feels a turn slower, so this feels closer to counterspell than to cancel. And that's a big deal. Yeah. All right. Uh, so now Dissolve is up against Two-Headed Cerberus. Two-Headed Cerberus. I do not like this guy. Neither do I. Uh, <laughs> I even had the deck that was like two of these guys and three of the... The fire-breathing enchantment. Dragon Mantle. Dragon Mantles. Three Dragon Mantles. And I got I got it down. Turn four, I was Dragon Mantling his face. And I lost the goddamn race, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I actually think that that, that combo, quote-unquote, is a bit of a trap in the sense that it still only has two toughness. You are pumping all of your mana into this guy just to make him do more than two damage at a time. And right. yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I have a feeling that Dragon Mantle is just better served on a flyer or uh, just like a creature that isn't going to die very easily. But I, I mean, the the Cerberus is definitely a, a nice target. I I can't dispute that. But I don't, I don't know. Like a lot of these auras and bestow cards, they're kind of just good on anything. So making the focus of your deck having that kind of card go on to a Cerberus versus, I don't know, say uh, the 3-3 Trample Monstrous guy, the Ogre, or the Cyclops, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Like, it's not that big of a difference to me. And No. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think some kind of evasion is really important. I Like, yeah, just, just like what you were saying, it was one of those things where 
I was spending my t- every turn essentially pumping into him, and he was blocking me, forcing me to spend my turn doing that, you know. And meanwhile, same, he develop, develops his board, right? Right. At the same time, he's playing cards, and I'm not. And so it ended up to where, like, once I realized that I had to start casting spells in my hand, like, I had a grip, and he had, like, two cards left in hand, which means the person who casts the most spells tends to be the winner. And he just had the card advantage and beat me that way. Well, yeah, and then once you're at that point, you, once you have to start playing out cards from your hand, you've got this one-two double strike with a with a fire-breathing enchantment on it. That card's useless now. Both of those cards are useless. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the Cerberus. Uh, so we're both on the Dissolve. Uh, next up is Nylea's Presence. Another card that I've been pretty impressed with, actually. Um, yeah, me too. It's, yeah, like I said, I like, I like to play more than two colors, and, and generally the way you do that is by playing green and playing Nylea's Presence. Like, that and the amulet are the the general ways to to expand your mana. And, um, yeah, I've been really liking it. Um, I'm still going to stick with Dissolve, though, because, you know, uh, all the things I said about it before. Yeah. But it's close for me. Yeah, I like the presence a lot too. And as far as presence versus the amulet, the presence is like a windmill slam for me in that pick. Yeah, if you're if you're green already, for sure. Yeah, uh, I'd really like all of the enters the battlefield draw card auras. Just I yeah. love that ability to just power through the cards in your deck with them because they're all Absolutely. cheap. They're all really effective at doing something. Dragon mantle will make a creature much more dangerous. Nelia's presence will make your mana much better, uh, and I don't know. I I think that it's still slightly underrated. Um, but with that said, I think I'm with you. I think dissolve is still the card I would take here. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a matter of a spell that does a little more, you know. Yeah. All right, last card on the list: dissolve versus chosen by Heliot. Speaking of enters the battlefield, draw card auras. Yeah, this card is is pretty good actually. It's uh one of those things where the like two more toughness feels like so goddamn much sometimes. Like I don't know, making something like huge in the ass makes it so unkillable in this set because there's very little to kill and you have to kill things in creature combat. So I do like it. Um and uh, and it gets even better when you're when you're running the uh uh, what's it called? The guy who, who gives you one ones period devotion. Oh, the uh, a crone crusader. Mm. Oh no, for for devotion. Gotcha. The uh, yeah. yeah, the one three. I can't remember the name of that card right now. Yeah, but uh, that's that's when I really love to play this card. But uh, yeah, so I, I did it. I do enjoy that guy. Um, or he's not really a guy, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, gonna stick with my preference and say dissolve though. Is that mostly based on color preference? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the name of that card, by the way, I just looked it up, is Evangel of Heliod. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is, can you actually, let's talk about that card a little bit. Do you, I mean, how much do you like that card? Uh, a decent amount. Like, I like it a lot if I get it in pack one. I really do think it's a build around me type effect. Like, it becomes useful. Uh, in a heavy white deck, 
Um, but when you when you build like kind of a white devotion ish deck, it can become like super super good. Yeah, it's uh, in it's in a weird spot in the metagame as far as I'm concerned. In that white, for the most part, wants to be aggressive or at least kind of aggro control. You know, right. where it's land a few threats, uh, Voltron them up, and 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 get there. You know. Uh, back it up with some bounce from blue or maybe some pump spells from green, you know? Whereas the Evangel, it seems very control-oriented to me, where you're really just trying to grind the game to a halt and play, like, a few evasive threats, slowly start chipping away, and then land this guy and just clog up the ground. Right. And I... I've seen decks like that be very successful, but I do think those decks are hard to draft and build. Uh, and and but that and that speaks to your point where you said you'd like to get this card in pack one because at that point you know you're trying to build around it, right? And uh, yeah, that's that's right. a, that's good analysis. I like that. Yeah, I, I like the uh, the. I mean, the effect is is powerful, obviously. So. Oh yeah, I mean, if, even if you get three one ones off of this guy, it, it's that's pretty decent. If you get like four to six, that's yeah. awesome. That's really really good. Yeah, you can often just kill with the one ones. <laughs> just alpha strike in the next turn. Yeah, if you if you're aggressive enough. But yeah. Um, but getting back to this pick a card, dissolve versus chosen by Heliod. I think that this is definitely closer than dissolve and Nylea's presence. Uh. If only because Chosen by Heliod is in that color white where you want to be tar- like triggering heroic, uh, yep. bestowing all the time. And you're right, that extra point, those extra two points of toughness do a lot of good, you know, as far as keeping your guys out of the range of Rage of Perforos or Lash of the Whip or, or Lightning Strike. Um, yeah. Once and, you hit the five toughness mark, it's just like, oh, the creature doesn't die. Yeah, Ooh. there's really nothing that deals with that except for a bounce spell. And that is. Those are the types of spells that do punish Chosen by Heliod, are the, sure. the Voyages Ends and the Griptides. But at the same time, once you cast it, you've already drawn your card. Uh, so as long as you're not getting blown out the turn you cast it, you're not losing a ton of value. You mostly just lose some tempo on, on the mana you spent to cast the enchantment in the first place. Um, right. With that said, I'm sticking with you on the Dissolve. Uh, I do think it's very close, and uh, obviously it's deck-dependent. Like, if you... First pick a white card, you're probably going to take a Chosen by Heliod over Dissolve if that's the pick you have to make, pick two. Sure. I mean, maybe it's not, but you know what I'm saying. You, you probably don't have to make that pick, pick two. That's not a... Right. No, yeah. Pick. But, I don't know, I do I do think the Dissolve just, like you said, it, it's very powerful in this format based upon how, like, s- slightly slower we are than a traditional format with Cancel would be. And, I don't know, I, yeah, I, th- I think I'm with you. All right, man. Barge into another list here? Sure, let's do it. All right, this is a little shorter. Uh, pick a card, Fate Foretold, or Vanquish the Foul. You're going to have to remind me what Vanquish the Foul does. Vanquish the Foul is the six-mana white sorcery that exiles a four-power or greater mm. creature and scries you two. Or scry one, excuse right. me. Uh, I guess I'll take Vanquish the Foul. Um, I mean, it's it is removal six mana removal in this set is is fine. I I, I mean, sip of hemlock's a better card than that, but much better. Um, <laughs> but 
it's still okay. Uh, I don't really like Fate Foretold, though. See, I'm coming around on Fate Foretold. Really? Okay. Yeah, if only, mostly because of how I've seen it used against me and how just awful I feel if I ever have to remove something that has that thing on it. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's such a beating. Um, I, I need to correct myself. I said that Vanquish the Fowl was exile. It just says destroy target creature with power four or greater. Right, um, right. I mean, not the, not a huge difference, but it does matter. Um, that damn Colossus. I, get out of here. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I think this is kind of close, actually, and I, I do think that Vanquish the Foul is probably the pick because it is removal. It does hit a lot of the stuff that you want to be hitting as opposed to a card like, I don't know, um, Firica's Cure, you know, a card yeah. that after a while kind of just becomes useless in this format, whereas Vanquish yeah. the Foul, like the, once you get to six mana, you're going to find a target for it most games. Um, totally. And Fate Foretold, while I like it, and while I think it's always playable just based upon the effects that it has, I do think that you don't really want to play it unless you're really going deep on heroic effects, right? Right. So, And not every deck can do that. Um, all right, so next up is Vanquish the Foul versus Chronicler of Heroes. This is the uh, Selesnya 3-3 guy that... Oh, yeah. Draws you a card and you have a plus one, plus one counter on the battlefield. Yeah, that guy. Uh, I will take that guy. Um, I think, well, okay. Shoot. I don't like either of these cards very much still. Um, I like a 3-3 three, three for 3 in this set. Like, Nessie and Corsair is solid man. I'm a fan. Um... The green-white restriction is pretty rough, though. It is a color combo that I'm not in love with. So, shoot. I immediately wanted to take the creature, but now I think I'm going to backtrack and take the removal spell. <laughs> Talk yourself out of it. Yeah, I don't I don't want to play green-white that badly. Yeah, I kind of like green-white, and that that's definitely, like, one color combination where if you're drafting it, you're pretty confined to a single archetype or or tempo of play, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where you're going all in on on uh, heroic, you're playing a lot of dudes, a lot of enhancements, and a lot of tricks. And Yeah, I do really, like, so we talked about the Bestow guys earlier. Uh, Hopeful Idol and the, the Lifelinker, he's so awesome in green-white. Love him there. So that's a big thing for me. That card's a huge riser for me. I thought that, like the Unicorn, I thought that that card was very much like a 23rd type card, but Lifelink in this set is just really good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, um, I like, like you, I like this 3-3, but I really don't like the fact that it commits you to two different colors. And it's not really a card that you would want to splash for if you were only in one of those colors heavily. So, yeah, I... Th- I I think I'm still going to take it over Vanquish the Foul, okay. most, mostly because it is a dude. It is an efficient dude, and it has some upside. Like, if you happen to have that plus one, plus one counter, draw a card. Like, that's pretty sweet. Replaces itself right away. Uh, but it's not... Yeah, n- n- none of these three cards are cards I'm super excited to play ever. In, in fact, if anything, Fate Foretold is probably the one I like the most, because when it's good, I think it's really good. Sure. But, uh, anyway, next up... Or Vanquish the Foul for you, the Chronicler for me, versus Triton, 
Fortune Hunter. That's the draw card, heroic guy. The 2-2 two, two blue guy for three yeah. who heroics to draw a card. Yeah, I don't like that guy at all. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep with my removal spell. I think I think that guy's pretty weak. Um, if I'm, I don't know. I, I much prefer the other Triton in blue. And that yeah. one's common, so... The other Triton's definitely better than this card as far as the format goes, I think, but... I do think this card might be a little underrated in the sense that, like, you look at it and you're like, oh, heroic draw card. It doesn't get any bigger. Screw that. This card sucks, you know? I I think yeah, that but, it suffers from that a little bit. No, I, I get it. Like, yeah, you're you're targeting it with something to make it bigger already, so you're just replacing your effect. It's good. I I don't, like, think it's unplayable or anything. I just... I'm truthfully not a big fan of white, or I mean blue heroic, which is probably a reason I don't like Fate Foretold either. Yeah, cause, yeah, you talked about how you like to play blue, but you don't like Fate Foretold, you don't like Triton Fortune Hunter. That tells me that you don't like to play white blue. <laughs> that is correct. Yes. Okay. All right, that's fair. I, I do, I'm with you. I think that Vanquish the Foul, and actually I think the Fortune Hunter is probably the worst card on the list so far, as far as I'm concerned, because... While I do think it's a little underrated, I do think that just the fact that we were talking about this earlier, it just requires a lot of help to be good. You really have to target it with something at least once to make it worth anything. And at that point, that card you're targeting it with has to make this guy a lot better. Like you want to be throwing a, like an emissary onto him or something like that. If you're just targeting him with the, with the hopeful idol on, making him a 3 3 lifelink and drawing a card, mm-hmm. like that's fine. But a 3 3 in this format just. Frankly, not isn't that enough. big? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm sticking with the Chronicler, and you're still in the Vanquish. Uh, last card on the list is a short one: Battlewise Valor. Plus two, plus two, Ooh. and Scry. Taking the Valor. Ooh, just slam dunk for you. Slam dunk. Uh, a big fan of pump spells in this format. Why uh, is that? Because there's not much people can say about it except to play another pump spell. Like, it seems to be the only thing that really happens during combat, you know, because there's just not that much instant speed removal. Yeah, I mean, we could probably list the important ones very quickly. The two blue bounce spells. Yeah. Lightning Strike, which is only effective on something with three toughness or less. And Lash of the Whip, which is four toughness or less, right? Yeah, and cost five mana. Oh, there's also Divine Verdict. That's definitely one that counts. (laughs) Yes, yes, it does. And I'm sure we're missing some, but I mean, but those right. are the main ones. And a lot of yeah. those are pretty easy to play around, namely Lash of the Whip and Griptide and Divine Verdict. And Divine Verdict, just cuz they have to leave up so much mana to, to to show those to you. Right. So, okay. Yeah, I yeah, I've just loved every single pump spell I play. What's your favorite pump spell in the format? Uh, probably, uh, Savage Surge, actually. Savage Surge is sweet. That's, yeah. that's one where because, again, because there are a few ways to kind of interact and, and punish you for playing the pump spell, it actually is good on defense. Right. As opposed to, what was it in last time? Was it in, uh, Gatecrash? Return to Ravnica. Oh, Return to Ravnica. You, there were a lot of ways that you could kind of, punish somebody for playing that spell inside of combat on defense. Totally. 
So, all right. There was uh, a, go ahead. I was just going to say there was also a bunch of pump spells in green at common. Yeah, it was definitely not as good as some of those other ones. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think Battlewise Valor is the is the pick for all the reasons you just stated. Um, pump spells are like uh, the Dissolve is good in the format. I think the pump spells are also very good in the format, um, just based upon everything else that's going on. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's definitely the best card on this list. Sweet. Which is weird because I and, and this is kind of why I put the list together was to show that plus two plus two for two mana and granted it also scries one which which counts but I mean it's generally kind of a an effect that doesn't change the value of the card too much right like plus two plus two for two mana is traditionally not very good right and we're both saying we'd gladly take it over a three three for three. Uh, a situational removal spell and a couple other just kind of archetype specific blue cards, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's I interesting. Mean, yeah, when when the set, when a set stretches for removal, you look for any way to to kind of get get that back, and I feel like pump spells are are that thing generally. Yeah. All right, so that does it for pick a card. Let's just uh, jump into our main topic here and. This is something that you and I have been kind of kicking around for a little while, brewing it up a little bit, and we want to talk about cards that do multiple things, multi-use cards. Right. When I brought up this idea, I thought I had specific cards in mind. I thought about monstrous creatures, and I just thought it applied well to this format, like cards that have an effect and also scry, but the more and more I thought about it, the more I realized like there are so many different cards that do different things and i think to start things off we should kind of define those different types of multi-use cards and what makes the different types uh important or powerful in limited games yeah i mean i'm gonna before we start i'm gonna go ahead and lay down this declaration that if a card doesn't really do two things or more than one thing it's not a good card yeah, I think that that's generally a good stance to take. And we'll get to why that can be a bit of a pitfall later, because uh, we, we are going to talk about that, like the downside of using multi-purpose cards. But um, I think, by and large, that's a very accurate statement. Yeah. For, first off, let's talk about, like, like I said, the obvious ones, cards that just have multiple effects printed on them at the same time. A card like Battlewise Valor, which is a pump spell and also scrying. And... Why is that good? Well, even if one part of the card isn't helpful to you, maybe the other card is. And typically, the scry is the the, the quote-unquote throwaway effect, right? Most cantrips right. are like that, uh, but some are not. Like some some are some cards are cards you play because you're getting a scry off of it, or you're drawing a card off of it. Um, a good example that comes to mind for me is uh, what was it called? Last Hope. Does that sound familiar? A one mana black instant that was Target creature gets minus one, minus one till end of turn. Scry two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what that's called? Maybe lost yeah. hope or last hope. Yeah. Lose hope. Yep, lose hope. I was so close. So, yeah. <laughs> this is a card from Fifth Dawn, and honestly, like minus one, minus one, and instant speed for a single black mana is typically not that exciting. Like think about how good Spark Jolt is, right? 
But yeah. when you tack Scry 2 onto it, like, the card gets a lot better. Yeah, that that was, yeah, a big, big up on that. And Scry is an interesting mechanic where you add one to that. Like, if it, if it was Scry 1 versus Scry 2, that's a big difference, you know? Like, Scrying 2 is much better than Scrying 1 twice, if that makes any sense. No, it makes but, a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just, like, it's not it's not a direct, like one better it's like it's exponentially better or whatever i don't know ryan and i talked about scrying for two a lot on the episode that i just got posted yesterday or or the day before and as far as like i think that in general people aren't greedy enough with like they don't ship cards to the bottom often enough when they scry like if i'm scrying one twice in a row i would have a really hard time not just shipping that first card to the bottom unless it was like the best card in my deck Right, unless it's the card you're looking for. Right, because if I'm gonna scry one twice, that first scry, if I don't see, if I see something useful, that's okay. But it's like if it's not like one of the best things I could be drawing next, I'd rather just ship it and get to see the next card. Because chances are the next card's either gonna be useful as well, or it's not gonna be useful, and you're gonna ship that as well, and you'll be two cards closer to the stuff that you really want to draw. Totally. Yeah. Um, another example I, I came up with here from uh, Theros is Boon of Erebos. And this card does multiple things, even though it, it kind of just, you'd only ever use it in, inside of combat, right? But you could use it for a variety of purposes. You could use it for the plus two, plus two, or you could use it on defense to regenerate something, you know? Right. So, I don't know. I think I think these are simple examples of cards that do multiple things all at once um what other kind of multiple no go ahead i uh, something i was just thinking about is uh, another card that's that does this really well and that it kind of does three things um the two that's printed on the card and then one extra which is the card that i'm blanking on uh the the draw card in aura in black plus one plus oh oh yeah scourge mark scourge mark it it gives your guy plus one plus one. It draws you a card, and it also gives you one devotion. Yeah. And, like, the two that are printed on the card both do something, and it's like, the plus one plus oh is not great, the draw card's not great, put them together, it's okay. Uh, but really, like, when you're also getting the added value of, like, synergy within the deck, right? Say, I mean, it's like it's like in a tribal set where a card has elf printed on it, it it auto- automatically becomes like has a, another use of like it's not just a creature it's a creature that synergizes with my other cards you know yeah and this is one of the things that's easiest to miss when you're doing card evaluation for a new set is not looking at stuff that wouldn't matter in other sets like in a tribal set the creature type line matters whereas in M13 well I guess it does in that because of slippers but like in this set tribal rarely matters and yeah. In other sets, the black mana symbols in the casting cost rarely matter, but in this set they do matter. And when you look at a card like Scourge Mark, like you said, the the, the first two abilities, draw a card when it comes into play, and plus one plus zero to your creature are like they they come together to form like an okay card, like a good or not a good, but like a passable twenty third card. Yeah, but just when like you, when you add when you add in that format-specific attribute of adding to your devotion, the card's value goes way up. Yeah. 
it is it, it yeah it's it's definitely one of the harder things to to pull out in the kind of multi-use case of looking at things say i i mean uh an interesting example that everyone probably scratched their head out when they first read was like um armored scab in uh innistrad when you're looking at it you're like wait i mill four cards when it comes into play like that must be a drawback like but really it's it's like another use of the card right yeah, exactly. Like half the time with that card, you didn't even care about the one four body. Oh, yeah. You're just like, get those <laughs> cards into the yard, baby. I gotta make some spiders later. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, that's that's interesting, and I think that that's a good tool to have in your in your arsenals to be able to look at a card and just kind of think to myself, what is everything this card is doing for me, and try to think about it within the context of the format that you're that you're at. Um, yeah. But I, let's move on to some other types of cards. Uh, next up, and this is probably the the poster child of cards that have multi-uses, are modal spells. Cards that offer you the choice between different effects. Um, yeah. So what, what kind of examples can we come up with here, Jeff? Uh, we had a thing called Entwine back in the day. Um, that is, was literally just, do this or this, and then you could pay an extra cost to do both. So that card really offers three choices. Yep. It's one, two, or both. Right. And we saw that in split cards as well uh, recently when they reprinted split cards. is It also offered three choices. Yeah, once they had Fuse on there too, you, it gave you that, that third mode you could be playing for. Mm-hmm. Um, charms are another good example. Uh, we've had Charms in many different sets, but the Ravnica ones, Return to Ravnica ones, I should say, are the... Uh, the most recent, and there are spells that give you three choices. They say do this, this, or this. Like uh, Azorius Charm is probably the most well-known because it sees play in standard. But True. Uh, A lot of them do, yeah. So Right, I mean, that card is sweet, too. It's like, what's great about that card is you're almost always going to find some use for it, right? It says exile, or not exile, but put on top of its owner's library and attacking or blocking creature like that's good in combat that's good in a race uh it's good just like removal if if a dude has a uh aura on it it gets around some things too um what's uh like creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn that's that's probably the least used mode but at the same time like that can gain you a ton of life which in some matchups is can be very important and then if neither of those things are useful to you just cycle it. Cycle it. Draw a card, right? Yep. Um, and so th- these cards that are modal are just like, they're really flexible and that's what makes them good. Yeah. And the biggest thing to take away from modal spells is that the uh, they're better than the sum of their parts. Correct. Like, you look at a spell that, you know, does all those three things that Greg just said and you look at them individually and you're like, well, would I really care to spend that much or like spend, have a card in my deck that does just that thing? Especially with it's the like, rough mana cost too, like yeah. white and a blue, like it requires you to be playing two colors. But yeah, but the point is, is that it's not giving you that. It's giving you the flexibility to, to do what you want. Like it gives you all these different options. You have the chance to outplay your opponent to play perfectly. And you, when you have more options, you're going to, you're, you're just going to have, a better line of play than than if you had less. Yep. Uh, a couple more examples of this. Uh, one from the current set, Bow of Nylea, a card that when you activate it gives you, what is it, four options? 
Yeah, there's a lot. Jeez, that card is a Swiss Army knife. That thing does everything. Um, direct damage can be modal. If it says target creature or player, that's a card that does two things. You can either kill a creature with it, or you can deal damage to your opponent. And that's why a card like Lightning Bolt is much better than a card that just says deal three damage to target creature. You know, totally. Because sometimes you don't have a, a worthwhile target in a creature, but in those cases with Lightning Bolt, you can always just go to the dome and be like, all right, take three. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about direct damage is that uh, most often when you're hitting the player, it's for the win. So, like, cause, cause you wouldn't use it unless, unless it's gonna win, unless it's gonna help you win, right? Right, totally. And so, it's often the, the difference between winning and losing. Yep. And identifying when those scenarios occur, especially like earlier in the game, like, when am I gonna need to fire this off at my opponent as opposed to saving it for a creature, can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's lump, uh, this next category into one of the categories you put on our little show notes page here, Jeff. Okay. The cards that scale their uses as the game go longer and cards that have added value given more mana. Like, I think that these are kind of one and the same. Sure. Just like yeah. as the game goes, goes longer, you're going to have access to more mana. And because you have more mana, it changes what the card can do. Um, X spells are a good example, like kind of going back to direct damage or maybe like a, a Sphinx's Revelation type effect where you can cast it early for a small gain or you can save it for later and get a very powerful spell out of it. Right, yeah, or like Fireball. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, they printed about a million uh, mechanics that, that just scream this so far, right? Like... We have Kicker, Buyback, Multi-Kicker. In this set, Monstrosity, Bestow. Um, yeah. It's just all these things where it's like, you could spend this much for this, or you could wait and spend this much to get even more. Yeah, this is basically the Kicker category. I, I can't remember where I saw this first, but it was a few years ago, or maybe like many years ago, where you can actually boil down any or most magic keywords to some form of Kicker. Like, if you do this extra, you get this other effect, you know, or, or this extra effect. Right. Uh, like, buybacks like that, where it says, if it says buyback three, it actually just says kicker three. And the kicker in that case is draw another copy of this card or return this card from your graveyard to your hand, you know. Yeah. Um, but these cards are good because, as again, as the game goes longer, they typically get better or they offer you just more options uh, in, in those cases. Totally. Cards, cards with pump abilities, root wallas, fire breathing creatures, shades, like any sort of mana sink like that, kind of falls under this category where early on they can just be a dude, like a root wall is a two two for four, but if you have access to a bunch of extra mana, then it becomes a very dangerous threat or a very formidable defender. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next? Uh, next we have cards whose abilities can be used for different effects depending on the game state. That means, like, instant speed is basically the the big crux of this. When a card says instant, it all of a sudden becomes a multi-use card, right? Yep, you can use it on your own turn. Yeah. You can use it on your opponent's turn. You can use it when things are happening. That's the big thing. It's like, when something's going on, and things are on the stack, instant 
because the, your instant spell starts doing something different. Like the the bounce spell you had that would just take them back a turn, all of a sudden also kills a an aura or something, right? Or or you know makes them discard their giant growth <laughs> essentially. Yeah, assuming that aura wasn't a bestow creature, right? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think a great example of this, uh, a classic example is unsummon. Just a card that I mean, think of how many different ways you can use an unsummon. You can use it to clear away a blocker. You can use it to save your own creature from removal. You can use it to trump a, a bounce spell, or not a bounce spell, a, a pump spell, or an aura. Yeah. Uh, and you can use it defensively just to gain tempo. Like, that's probably the worst use for it, but, I mean, it's a use nonetheless. Like, that card is just so versatile and so flexible. And the fact that it only costs one mana for all those different ways to interact with the board is what makes Unsummon a quality card. Yeah, it'll never be bad because... It has so many damn uses that something's going to be useful. Yeah, it'll very rarely be dead. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it does have a lot of different ways you can use it and apply it. And a lot of that also has to do with the fact that it has a very low mana cost. If you have one mana, you can cast it. Or one blue mana, you can cast it. Right. Uh, what, What are some examples from Theros that kind of fall under this category? Theros, um, well, I don't know. All right, well, I've got a couple here. Um, God's Willing, how about that? And this kind of crosses over into the cards that do two things because it has Scry on it, but just the ability to grant protection is one of those things that typically you're going to try to use it to negate a uh, removal spell, but you can also use it to save your creature in combat. You can also use it to make your creature unblockable. Protection is one of those things that protection itself does a lot of different stuff. It grants the ability to reduce damage from that color to zero. It grants the ability so that it, uh, whatever has protection can't be targeted, and it allows that creature to be unblocked by cards of that color. So if I need to punch through the last four damage uh, to win a game, and my opponent has only black blockers... I can say protection from black on this dude and just jam it in there for the win. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's one example I came up with. Um, another, how about one of the best commons in the set, Gray Merchant of Asphodel? I mean, okay. it gains you life and it deals damage. Uh, sure. dr- drain life effects in general are multi-use because they're they can be used in a state where you're losing to gain you life and make it so you can play longer or it can be used just to end the game as far as like I'm ahead all I need to do is cast this green merchant and burn you out direct damage style and there you go like I can use it defensively or I can use it offensively um, and the the great thing about it is that it does both things at the same time right yeah you bring up a good point when you talked about God's willing is that the the um, keyword protection from X is inherently multi-use. Like, if you have a card that is pro-red, it it does more than just one thing. It's it's doing a bunch of different things at once in different situations, right? Yeah, totally. Death Touch is similar in that regard, where Death Touch 1 means that I'm going to kill anything I block with this, assuming, like, I get to deal damage. But it also says, if I attack with this, my opponent's probably not going to want to block. Right. 
you know, and that does scale with different effect, different game states. Like if I have a two-two death touch, I can probably attack at will with that card for as long as I want because no one's going to want to trade something bigger for it, and anything smaller than it's not going to eat it in the first place. Like best case scenario is you're trading like another two-two for it. And yeah, then, then you won't attack into it. Yeah, and at that point you're not attacking. So, uh. Yeah, it depends on the game state, depends on if, if you want to force through damage or if you need to keep that guy back on defense. But that's another example of a keyword that kind of performs double duty in and of itself. Right. Um, you came up with a good category of, of cards here. Uh, creatures that can act defensively and offensively. Right. Yeah, I mean, so you have you have cards that look inherently defensive or inherently offensive. Say, let's talk about Sarah Angel. It's pretty common one you see that that's a big giant beater in the sky i mean that's that's your win condition that's an offensive card right craig oh no doubt yeah but uh the magic word on it is vigilance and all of a sudden it's both it can be both defensive and offensive because you don't have to tap it when you attack so you're getting a 4-4 defender and a 4-4 flying beater um all within one card uh so vigilance is inherently has this defensive offensive thing. That's kind of what it is, right? Yeah. But there are there are other cards even that that may look one way, but are another. Um, and this set actually has a, a lot of good uh, examples of that. the The first one that I thought of was Returned Phalanx, which looks like a on like just glancing at it, you're like, oh, two mana three three. That's a that's an offensive card. <laughs> but then you read Defender, oh, I guess that's a defensive card. But really, it's both, because you can get and remove that Defender. So, And it also it also fits in the category of cards that get better as the game goes longer, right? Yeah, because once you have access to extra mana, you can just pretty much attack with it for free. That I love that card, by the way. That's one of my favorite like risers in the set. I mean... I never disliked it, but I just like it so much now that it's, it's gone way <laughs> up my pick order. Like, adds to Devotion, halts the, the aggro decks. Yeah, that card just does, that card does a ton. Yeah, and it's, it is truly both defensive and offensive. Like, just playing with it, you feel it. It's like, you play it, turn two, it just stops them in their tracks, and then just all of a sudden you have the extra mana. Hey, I can get in there. You yeah. Because a 3 3 is not easy to deal with in combat, even in Theros. Right. You have a couple other good examples here. Scholar of Atheros, that card's sweet. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, he's a 1-4 for 3. That's defensive, right? I mean, even his ability gains you life. You're like, okay, this thing's defensive. But his ability also deals one damage. We talked about the drain life effects. They do two things, and this is one of those cards that that does two things. It it can kill your opponent. It takes a lot of mana, but (laughs) it can do it. So you you can use that as a win condition. And then uh, my favorite on this little list is Wavecrash Triton. Um, he's a 1-4 for 3. The classic Horn Turtle casting cost uh, just screams defensive pretty much at this point. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. You see that color and that cost. You're like, oh, this is, this is the Horn Turtle of the set. But it has that heroic ability that also kind of does look defensive on the outset, but it's even better in the offense, right? Yeah, because you get to tap a creature during your turn before attacks, tack in, and then that creature stays tapped. So you get two two turns of tapping out of it on defense. Only one 
I mean, on offense, only one on defense, really. So it's much better on offense. Yeah, I don't know if you listened to that episode that Ryan and I recorded last Not weekend, yet. but no. we waxed poetic about Wave Crash Triton for a good deal of time. That card is really sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's yeah, it's and it's again, it's very versatile, and that's what makes it so sweet. It gives you a lot of opportunity to outplay uh, your opponent. Um, so now I just kind of want to wrap things up with, and we're definitely not hitting everything. I should say that first, like we could get really nitty gritty on some of like these multi-use cards, but those are kind of the general categories and you can, you can apply this thinking to, uh, like, kind of like I was talking about earlier where you say, what is everything this card does in the set? Like what, what am I looking at here? And just boil it down. Like, think of any given scenario where the card could have a different use. And you'll find that most magic cards have more than one use or or the ability to play differently in different scenarios. And well, let, go ahead. Great. Let me bring up, uh, like, just uh, when you when you evaluate a card, <clears throat> um, even if it's, like, super vanilla, it you'd be surprised at how many uses you can find from it. Um just think of a grizzly bear, right? A grizzly bear is a 2-2 creature. It it do, it looks like it does one thing. It's a 2-2. It, you know, it probably attacks, right? But it also blocks another 2-2 and trades with it. And if your deck is slow and needs something early to trade with an early 2-2 or something, like you you might be playing your um what's that uh ferret in this new set, the sable. Um you know what I'm talking about? The, the two mana two one, two, two mana, mana two one, two one. Uh, the satyr? No, it's a it's an artifact creature. Oh yeah, yeah. The little, okay, I know what you guys are talking about. Uh, this a bronze sable or sable? Yeah, yeah. So like I've played that in in a deck that has that's like all slow stuff, and it, it and you would look at it and be like, why 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 would you do that? You you <laughs> you're not attacking for two. Why do you need a two mana two one? And it was just to to soak up a, an early beat beatdown that my opponent could have, and it it did its job. I mean, it doesn't like every card can do more than it looks most likely. And if it can't, like I said before, it's probably not a good card. Yeah, I mean that that's a great kind of lesson to learn just as far as mana curve goes in general. Where you can look at a card like Grizzly Bear or Bronze Sable and say. Well, this guy is a two power guy for two mana with no other abilities. I'm only going to play this when I'm aggressive. Like, no, that it doesn't necessarily work that way because if you disregard all the two mana two ones and two mana two twos, what are you going to play on the, on that second turn? Like you, you need to have a play there some of the time. And if your opponent is trying to aggro you out and just run you over with his own swarm of two power dudes for two mana, something to trade with one of his guys is really good for you. And, I mean, worst case scenario is that your opponent will use some sort of trick to clear the way, like to get that guy you're going to trade with off the battlefield. But at that point, your opponent's using removal on a two-mana 2-2 in your deck. Like, high fives all around. Like, that's sweet. That's great. (laughs) I mean, I'm in for that. Then he can't use it on the 1-4 I'm going to play on turn three. You know? So, yeah, I... you're right. Just a vanilla creature can do so much more than what it looks like. And that has to do with just how you want to play your game with your deck. And that changes in every draft. Right. So, yeah, with all that said, I kind of want to talk about 
the cases where having multi-purpose cards can be detrimental to you and your deck. And we're definitely kind of picking corner cases here, but um, the, fir- the first and foremost is we talked about how more choices equals more opportunity to outplay your opponent. It also gives you more opportunities to make mistakes. Like, you can fuck up way more if you if you choose the wrong mode of a card or if you trade off that Bronze Sable when what you should have been doing was trying to race, right? Totally. I mean, that you we brought this up earlier with uh, what we were talking about with the um, two-headed Cerberus. Uh, it, like, putting that Fire Mental on it actually created the the, like, version of this card where I had all these all these different things I could do, like all these different mana amounts I could spend on my turn when I'm attacking with it. And it turned out that what I probably should have been doing is not spending any mana on that <laughs> and just pretending like it didn't have that ability. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great example. And especially one that in, like involves multiple cards going into, like you just put so much stock into that one creature. And at that point, if you misplay, you're going to be so punished for it. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Next up is the fact that flexible cards tend to do less or cost more. And this is kind of what we were talking about earlier with uh, the reason these cards are good is because they're the sum of their parts. They have lots of options, but at the same time, they won't, they like any single effect on a modal spell probably isn't going to do the same as uh, a similar effect without the other modes. And, like, Is It Charm is a good example of that, where it has the ability to deal two damage for two mana, but if you look at a card like Lightning Strike, that card deals three damage for two mana, right? So right. it does less. Um, the other option is that it will cost more to give you that versatility, and that can be uh, a detriment as well. Um in general, I, I have this little Swiss Army knife analogy that I want to bring up here, and that's that you can have a card that's a Swiss Army knife that can do a bunch of different stuff, and that's great. Like it's it's really cool to have one of those in your backpack or in your deck and say like, okay, any given scenario I run into, like I'll find some use for this thing, right? But if all I want to do is hammer a nail into a wall, what I really want is a hammer. You know, I, I don't want a Swiss Army knife. I need or a better example is like a Swiss Army knife probably has a screwdriver on it. But if all I want to do is is screw things into the wall, I want a power drill, you know? I, I want something that's going to like do that. And right. there are cards that uh, can kind of outshine the Swiss Army knives if you're looking for a specific niche for them to fill. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you brought up a good example of of having like a lightning strike in your deck that's just aggro red, like playing little dudes, attacking for early damage, getting in there. Um, when you have a card that does that versus, I mean, this won't ever happen, but versus the charm that Greg mentioned, uh, Lightning Strike can go to the face and the charm can't. It does it does things that, like, although it doesn't have as many modes, um, its modes that it has are better for what you're doing. Yeah. So I think something that ties into that is the fact that when a card does a lot of different things, it's easy to, it's easy to overlook what it doesn't do. And I, I, we can keep coming back to Is It Charm here. The fact that it can't go to the face is, I mean, that's the downside, you know? Yeah. 
Totally. Because there are cards times when you draw that, and what you really wanted to do is not burn out a, a two toughness guy. You want to deal two damage to your opponent, and, and at that point you're lucky in the sense that is it charm has the draw two discard two ability. You know, sure, because you can dig for that direct damage that you need. But at the same time, you're using uh, you're using time, you're using mana to do that, and that slows you down. Right. I mean, and also it can't counter creatures, and maybe that's what you needed to do. Where you're playing it as a, it's like, oh, this counts as a counter spell in my deck. Sweet, I have a counter. It's like, well, you do, but it sometimes doesn't counter what you need it to counter. Yeah. Uh, last thing up here I have is just kind of a general, I don't know, thought in that unique threats often require unique answers, and cards that do a lot of things, while, while they can offer unique choices... Sometimes if if you're trying to deal with one thing, if you're trying to deal with a Geist of St. Traft or a Hexproof guy, there are usually only a select few cards that do that, right? Uh, in the, the Hexproof example, Diabolic Edict effects, uh, Devour Flesh effects, target creature or target player sacrifices a creature. That's one of the few ways you're going to, you're going to be able to kill a Hexproof creature. And that's assuming that your opponent doesn't have any other creatures out, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's something else to think about. It's just that, so again, it's it's kind of the Swiss Army knife analogy where, if you have a specific problem, a multi-use card isn't necessarily going to dig you out of that hole. You might need a specific type of effect, and this is the instance where if a card only does one thing, it better do that one thing really well. You know? Yeah. I make it worth um, playing. I have a an example that. <laughs> that uh, works in this context. We were talking about that ridiculous Colossus, that indestructible bastard. Yes. Um, you, you might look at Artisan's Sorrow and think, oh, this destroys an artifact or enchantment and I get to scry to much better than Fade into Antiquity. But hey, if your problem is a giant Colossus, Fading into Antiquity is exactly what you need to be doing and Artisan's Sorrow ain't going to cut it. Yeah. Just in general, I found that Artisan Sorrow is not as good at that as that card in this format in general. You know, I it's, might have it said is it a channel little, four times there, but <laughs> it is a little expensive for its ability, I think. Well, and the exiling, I, I think, matters a lot, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that gods, gods exist. Yeah, and yeah. those are the cards that, if I'm running main deck enchantment removal, those are the cards I'd really want to be able to hit if I run into them. <clears throat> right, you, you may as well, you know play the one that can actually get rid of the card that's going to beat you. Yeah. Uh, not to say that the other ones aren't unplayable. Like, I've definitely made Decked Artist in Sorrow and, and had it do work, but, uh, yeah, the Exile is a big deal on yep. Fade into Antiquity. Totally. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I've got on multipurpose guards, and I think that the big takeaway here is that options are typically good. Like you said, if you, you're better off having the ability to do more with a single card, and... You, you brought up that great point of, uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I brought up a great point. Yeah, I mean, you're full of them, Jeff. Yeah, uh, yeah it might come back to me here. Hold on a sec. Uh, nope, not coming back to me. All right. <laughs> back to our old tricks here at East West DraftCast. Damn it. You're yeah. going to, ah, man. I was going to tell you how great you were, and now I, I know. That's I can't remember worst. how, so clearly you're not great. <sighs> fuck that shit. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Did, were those our first curse words of the podcast? Did we make it over an hour? 
that would be amazing. I feel like I must have said the F word at least 10 times already, but maybe not. <laughs> you were just thinking it like a million times. I generally do. Yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, do you have any anything else to say on this topic in general or, or on the format in general? Just Theros? Um, more on the topic is like just I, I it's such an important piece of evaluating cards and especially when you're evaluating cards within a format like you have to think of what are the different things that the cards can do for you like you can't you can't get stuck with your knee jerk reactions to cards on what they do and just and just file it under you know Oh, aggro card or, you know, like things like that. You just you have to keep your mind open and you have to um, just kind of be quick on your feet in terms of thinking about how these cards work in the set that you're looking at, because it's this game is so damn versatile and things change so easily, like within formats or across formats, I mean, um, that you you really, to be, you know, a quality evaluator of cards, you have to be thinking of all the all the angles, right? And uh, I don't know. I think evaluation is such a major part of drafting. Well, obviously, that is all of what the portion of drafting is, is evaluation, essentially, and deck building. But um, it's important in playing, too, though. <laughs> To know, totally. the, to know the value of your card versus the card you're potentially trading it for is a big deal. And, and to, to know that my two drop is less important than his two drop and that I, if I trade here, that's good for me. Like that's part of evaluation. It's evaluating both cards relative to one another in a, in a specific game state. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I just want all of our listeners to just really take this lesson to heart and try as hard as you can to figure out every use for a card. And I don't always do it, but um, at least when I do notice a new use for a card, I, I definitely make note of it and uh, think about it every other time that I see the card. That's the the best thing to take away, I think, is that you, you might not understand a card's entire use or... or uh, variety of uses the first time you look at it but you need to be willing to learn as you play as you watch other people play uh learn everything a card can do uh we talked about it a lot in our two pick a card list we talked about opaline unicorn at first we're like oh that card doesn't do enough and then it's like oh but in this format it does a lot of things really well or uh fate foretold or um battle wise valor you know like that's a card that you can evaluate in a vacuum relative to other formats you've played before and be like, okay, this is how good I think the card is. But then when you apply new filters, when you apply the filter of Theros to it, you get a totally different card. And right. and to be able to to see all those those angles and all those options presented before you is what's going to really kind of bump your game up to the next level. Totally. So I don't know. I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I guess in general, like. That, that's your homework for this episode, listeners, is the next time you look at a card and you don't really know what to think about it, just off the top of your head, try to list to yourself all the potential uses for something, and you're going to be surprised at how much you can come up with. Totally. All right, man. Well, I think that does it for this episode. 
this has been fun, man. I, I, uh, I miss doing it with you, Jeff. I know. I want to miss... do it with you every Sunday. God damn. I hope, so. <laughs> I hope we get to. <laughs> well, I mean, I think things are kind of normalizing for me as far as my schedule goes. And, uh, now that I'm making this a bit more of a routine, two weeks in a row, booyah, go Greg. Sweet. Yeah. That, that makes it easier for me to continue to, to, to get out on these, these Sunday podcasts. But, um, yeah, uh, you got anything else or you want to just get to the, the contact info? Let's tell them how they can get in contact with us, Greg. Well, what if they want to email us? What do they do there? All right. I want you to open up your browser. Uh, you might use Chrome. You might use Firefox. I hope you don't use Internet Explorer. What if they're using Outlook or some other email program? Oh yeah, you might you might not use email through a web browser. You might use you might use Outlook. You might use uh, what is it, Thunderbird? Um, oh, fuck right, is let's, Thunderbird. That's uh, Mozilla's version of Outlook. Okay, learn um, something new every day. <laughs> anyway, uh, just goddamn email us at eastwestdraftcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, you probably know how to use your email. I don't know why I was trying to explain all that. Yeah, I mean, I might have to go download Thunderbird. That just sounds better than everything I'm using. Like Gmail, boring. I'd probably just keep using a web browser. It tends to be easier. Yeah. All right. Well, what about if they're on Twitter and they're like, oh, I want to tweet at these guys. What do they do then? Uh, you should probably keep your responses to under 140 characters. <laughs> um, this oh, is assu- yeah. assuming you have the browser open still. Yeah. And... Uh, you might, if you do want to talk to us on there, you might want to put at EW Draftcast in there to talk to Greg or at Jeff EWDC to talk to me because those are our goddamn Twitter handles. Twitter primer. Boom. <laughs> Suck on it. Now you're an expert. Um, now we have a website, eastwestdraftcast.com. Yeah, awesome. we post all of our episodes there before they go up anywhere else. Although. Yeah. With the new forthcoming changes to MTG Cast, that might not be the case anymore. Yeah, they might go up simultaneously, which and would be awesome. That would be really great. I'm looking forward to that if and when it happens. Yes. Uh, last thing, you can find us on Facebook because who doesn't have Facebook? If you don't have Facebook, I mean, what are you, a communist? <laughs> uh, Facebook.com backslash EWDraftCast or just search for East West Draftcast with the browser still open, mind you. On the yeah. Facebook website, in the Facebook search field, type in the name of the show, and yeah. you'll find us. You you joke about using Facebook? Holy crap, that, that goddamn website confuses me every time I use it. <laughs> well, it's because it changes every month. Yeah, I, I kind of hate that website. But anyway, go and look, it up, look us up on there. Give us a like, why don't you? Yeah, and uh, we would love to hear feedback from anyone and everyone. We've done mailbag episodes before, and... Frankly, the reason we don't do them very often is because people rarely ask us questions, and we'd love to hear more from you, and uh, not only just your questions on Limited in general, but also just feedback on the show, what you like, what you don't like. So um, drop us a line and and let us know how we're doing, because we would appreciate the feedback. Totally. Uh, Other than that, another week in the books, Jeff. We, We crushed it today. This was great. We did. And uh, we'll be back hopefully next week together. Maybe we'll have a, a guest or two. Uh, now that we've got this, like, rotating cast, I'm ready for, like, a like a big smorgasbord episode where there's just, like, five people on and only two of them get to talk because that's how podcasts work. <laughs> that would be awesome. 
But, I mean, I'd love to not hear someone talk for three hours. That sounds thrilling. I'm sure that all of our friends would enjoy doing that as well. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Draftcast out! Eyes open to the back. He-